Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Hello everybody, I'm John Hindorf and this is a Tyler's Long One. Graham Tyler, he sorted all this out right at the very beginning, doing a longer form interview for us here on the Radio Show Limited Network of channels. And that's why it's still called Tyler's Long One. And our latest subject of a TLO is Anthony Davidson, who has recently announced that he's going to step away from professional racing. Delighted to say that we're joined by Anthony Davidson, who recently has announced that he is stepping away from, well, driving at least. A fabulous career that he's got behind him, including, of course, the 2014 World Endurance Championship with Sebastian Buemi. We remember that. And I'm going to ask you the question to start with that you've asked many drivers down through the years. Why is now the right time to step away? Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't an instant thing. Um, definitely wasn't a spur of the moment decision. Um, it's something that I was seriously thinking about, even coming towards the end of my time at Toyota. If I'm honest, I saw that contract was coming up. It was a three-year deal that I signed, and by the end of that three-year deal, it was going to see me to 40 years old. And I thought maybe I did toy with the idea then. 40 years old could be a good time to stop. Um, the competition was obviously pretty tense there at Toyota and. It was at points I found it quite tough to stay in love with the sport, if I'm completely honest. Um, and I just, you know, it'd been a long, long career. I've been driving, competing since I was an eight year old kid. And, you know, it was intense stuff the whole way through my karting career into, into motorsport. And yeah, that's the thing people often forget that it's, it's not just, it's not just when you're in single seaters, that's when your career starts. You know, I'm from that generation where, we were barely walking and then you're straight into a go-kart and racing each other and it's competition and, you, and you, your dad is acting as team manager and there's lots of pressure there and the will from the adults wanting you to do better and better and it's, it's intense stuff really and um, I think it just takes its toll and it's interesting watching my generation now getting to the age that I am and realising well, it's been a long road and I think that's that's really where I was at mentally and then when I got into LMP2, it was like a slightly new lease of life and um, really, you know, fell back in love with the racing again. And it was a bit more fun and driving with um, Roberto Gonzalez, the the, uh, the the AM driver, the silver driver in our car crew. And, you know, they, their interest is slightly different and they go racing for a slightly different purpose than than the hardcore pros of the, of the sport like myself. So that opened up a, a bit of a new chapter and... Um, and I'm glad I did it, but then at the end, I realised that I I was always going to be me. I was always going to be hard on myself, self-critical, and in the end, ultimately, it's myself that thought it's the right time. It's you've had a long old career driving for 34 years, and uh, yeah, it, it just felt like the right time. I can't really explain it anymore in detail than that. Perhaps the, the the better question would have been, then, given what you've just said, is what made you decide to continue and do those extra years in LMP2? What was it that, that brought you back and thought, right, OK, 
if if that was going on in your head, oh, I've kind of fallen out of love with it. Forty, it's a nice bookend to that. What kept you in then? What was the challenge of LMP two that that made you think, oh, go on, then I'll have another go. I think it was just the fact that it was going to be going racing for a bit more fun. Um, you know that that's we can't forget that that's the main reason LMP two actually exists is for the silver bronze gold driver more silver bronze drivers that mm. go racing for fun and it should be fun and i was only getting fun in the end from winning and and getting the best out of myself um and it's hard for a pro uh, to to put yourself into that mindset and um it, it sounded like fun when it was presented to me um, Elton Julian gave me the phone call and said, hey, how about it? I've got this driver, Roberto Gonzalez, really want you to be in the car with him. And uh, we've got Pastor Maldonado there as well. And I did think, the first thing was, that does actually sound pretty good fun. <laughs> so, uh, um, and I'm really, really glad I, I, I took that decision to, to do it because, um, like I say, it opened up a new chapter and, um, and a new world. That I'd always looked at the LMP2 racing and thought, does look proper gritty stuff and uh, everyone's in the same car same engine or near enough same car uh, the same engines and um mm. and, and you know you, you you're only really as good as the, the as the am driver in your car so um in a way takes the pressure a bit off of the pros but yeah i'm just glad i did it i, I was always intrigued by lmp2 when i was in p1 watching their races and um yeah i'm really glad that that i, that I took the step to uh, to do it are you going to completely step away? That's what McNish did. Didn't renew his license. Didn't think about doing it. Or are you going to be um, like, a, I don't know, a Tom Christensen and do a few classic events and, and bits and pieces of other things? Well, I haven't ruled out completely, you know, driving again. Uh, that's why I carefully worded my in my, my social media <laughs> post that I put out there is that professional racing-wise, right. I'm going to step away from um, and at the moment, I have no plan to really to drive a, a, um, in any kind of competition in, in cars. I will drive. Um, I'm, I will drive racing cars around the track, but just it's, it's the competition really that was getting just it was getting harder and harder to squeeze that performance out of myself. And mm. I remember the, a brilliant quote from Damon Hill when he was about to retire and. And he said, it's, it's like a tube of toothpaste. The, the talent is still in there. It just gets harder and harder to squeeze out. And I was just getting more and more fed up of squeezing, <laughs> squeezing. Yeah. So I thought it's time to, it's time to step. And it's the little things that creep in, like qualifying, mm. for example. Qualifying in a sports car race, I've always thought is a little bit of a non-exercise, uh, you know, a, a, a non-necessity. Uh, I've always struggled with that concept in an endurance race, even a four hour race. Yeah. I've never got to, I tell all the young drivers this, I've never got to the end of an endurance event and wished I had had a better qualifying result. It's <laughs> never happened. Never happened. No. In Formula One, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. A lot of your race result hinges on your qualifying performance, but not in a sports car race. Not in, from my experience, it's never happened to me. So those little moments became even harder to to try and squeeze that performance out, out from. Looking back on your career, and that 34 years of racing, um, the obvious, again, an obvious question that I'm sure you've been asked all, already, but highs, highs and lows, 
world champion Sebring winner, certainly with sports cars, you had a, a lot of success. Do you do you look at one particular season, one particular event, one particular set of teammates and go, yeah, that was it. That was the race, the year, the, the championship, the whatever. Yeah, there are certainly moments that stand out in your mind. Um, you know, winning the Formula Ford Festival is a great one, great memory for me. Um, I've only got a select few trophies on show uh, in, in my house and um, the Formula Ford Festival is, is one of them. It takes uh, takes the top top row with this right select few. I've got, the, um, I've got the Autosport Award trophy as well. That was another nice, um, in a way, a victory. Yeah, it was a victory. Um, up against some young hot drivers of, of our time um so to to beat them and and claim that uh, that top step of that award was was pretty prestigious and um set me on my way into into formula fords um into into single seaters uh helped by the the funding of course by brdc and mclaren at the time so um yeah you know that, that's that holds a special memory in, in in my mind as well and then you got you know other achievements the po street grand prix formula three winning that race um, against Takuma Sato and the other good drivers from the, the European um, series in Formula 3. And um, so I was proud about that one. Uh, and then the, the qualifying performances and races I had in Formula 1, although never scored a point, uh, you know, in the machinery I was in, was I had some decent performances that I look back to now. So um, one of them, the very first race I did in, in the Super Guri, actually in, uh, in Melbourne to qualify just outside of the top 10 uh, in my first race. I was really pleased with that one. I say my first race, it wasn't. But the geeks out there that were saying, no, you did two Minardi races, you're right. <laughs> my, in my first proper season, full season of Formula There you go. <laughs> uh, you tried to forget um, about the Minardi stuff. You and I have talked about that yeah, before. Was, That's kind of been that. pushed up. <laughs> it's in a drawer yeah, over uh, here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, then sports cars. And actually, you say the highs and the lows. And a low point in my career was when the Formula One dream ended after Super Guru pulled out, ran out of funding. It was the first sign that Honda were going to pull out as well. And they were really sad times, really difficult for not just me, but many people in both camps, Super Guru and Honda, the guy, you know, the team in Brackley. And, um, and it left me really without anything. I didn't, I didn't have the drive. There was no income. Um, although I was racing in Formula One, I didn't earn brilliantly um, at that time as a test driver and um, and driving for a car that was at the back of the grid. You don't earn well from it, honestly speaking. And um, so, yeah, you start to really worry. And I was in a pretty bad place mentally from it. Uh, that was that was uh, midway through towards the tail end of 2008. And then the phone call came from Peugeot to drive their LMP1 car at Paul Ricard in a one-off test, just completely out of the blue. And um, I grabbed the opportunity and absolutely fell in love with that category. I didn't know much about LMP1, but the, the way the cars were back then, it was the closest thing I'd driven to a Formula 1 car. Mm. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. And, um, and then from such a low point in my career to such a high point, signing up with Peugeot was um it was it was a great moment and and gave me this whole new avenue yeah in, in racing that I just never had anticipated 
coming my way when I was just blinkered on the world of Formula One. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and went on to win the world championship. And honestly, it's my biggest achievement in most racing. So, um, and that is very much, that's, I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, it's in the middle Still of there. all of the trophies, <laughs> that world championship FIA trophy shared with uh, Sebastian Buemi, of course, at Toyota. And it was an FIA World Championship by then as well. That was a lovely thing. You drove some pretty cool cars in fairly short order there, Ant, when you came into into sports car racing, because you drove the Aston with DT, Darren Turner, and Jos Verstappen. And then you drove, that's right, yeah. Good yeah, memory. Yeah, and then the... Didn't you drive the Lola Aston as well? The prototype. The, so the Lola Aston, the process, that was the car you're thinking of. Yes, in, yes. Uh, that, 2009. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a pretty cool car and sounded cool. fantastic. Sounded, oh. sounded beautiful. The V12. Yeah, so I drove two V12s one year to the next, but yes. one was a petrol and the next one was a diesel. <laughs> sounded very different, but uh, <laughs> pretty similar performance. Yeah. yeah, who would have thought then, if, if I'd spoken to you in your early days and said, oh, by the way, you're going to be driving a V12 diesel engine car at Le Mans in not so very long time. You would have looked at me rather strangely, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, growing up driving, you know, Formula Ford and into Formula 3, even back then, diesel wasn't a very common technology on the road. Um, Surprisingly, not many people, you know, I think... It was very rare, even more rare, to have a turbo diesel from memory. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were they were sluggish old oil burners that really was, didn't really entice people to drive them on the road. But then the technology really started to change a lot. So if you'd asked me back then and said one day you'll be driving a diesel racing car, I would never have believed you, um, let alone a hybrid. Yeah, uh, with, you know, half of my power coming like in the Toyota, half of my power coming from a battery pack. That would have been like alien technology. I just, yeah, I would have fallen over in disbelief, I think. But uh, yeah, so I have been really blessed actually to watch this technology come along and change and also be a part of it and help develop it. Yeah. There's been something I've always loved from the sport. I love them, uh, you know, that, that, that technological drive that. Top-end motorsport gives you. And, and particularly when you were at Toyota. Okay, so you had the, the, the lovely V12 Aston Petrol, the V12 diesel in, in the Peugeot. The Toyota years, the sophistication that was coming into sports car racing at that time was running at a million miles an hour. And for a while, the technology that was in there was outstripping even what Formula One was at the, at the same at the same point and I remember having a long chat with you about how much you were doing in the car these retardation events that were partially using the hybrid system partially using the friction brakes and all that sort of thing did you enjoy that challenge Ant? I loved it it was brilliant and actually you know my my work at Mercedes in the simulator as you know still goes on today well back then in 2013 when F1 was still using the V8 normally aspirated engines and they were about to take this massive leap into the world of hybrid and the V6s, um, I was able to pull on a lot of my knowledge um, and help that cross information uh, with Mercedes uh, at the time because I was experienced in driving a, a hybrid racing car. And it was such a new thing for Formula 1. And yeah, like you say, at that time, LMP1, the world of 
top flight sports cars was very much ahead of, uh, of Formula One in terms of the technology involved. So, I mean, obviously now it's completely changed. Formula One are racing ahead with it. But at that time, it was it was very different. And But I've always loved that like I say that that um advancement in technology and um and I very much enjoyed having that behind me or actually alongside me in the case of the, the battery pack in the Toyota and to help develop it, to fine tune it, to get the best out of the tools that you have available as a driver is is a big part of the skill set today. Um you can't just rely on your engineers. You need to be able to help steer them where to look many times as well. And to come up with ideas of what could help you on circuit for them to go and tweak the technology to your advantage, basically for everyone's advantage. And I loved in a way the test days more than the racing uh, just for that pure fact. Brilliant cars. I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased I got to stand trackside and watch those cars when it was Toyota, Peugeot and Audi battling it out and the, and the differences between them, the different characteristics, the different ways they used at the start at least, very different hybrid systems as well. That was that was absolutely outstanding. Were you slightly disappointed, Ant, after your performances because you performed well for Toyota that you didn't get a, another contract from them? Obviously Alonso had come in, somebody had to, had to make way. Were you a bit disappointed that that you got shuffled into a uh, a test and development role? Um, well, was, I was one of the ones that decided to do it. Um, it wasn't like I got moved aside. I, there was basically, Alonso was on the market, he wanted to drive, and he was first of all, he was talking to Porsche. And uh, when Porsche pulled out, it left him no other choice but to follow his dream of trying to get the Triple Crown. And he wanted to come and do uh, LMP1 and Le Mans, of course, as part of that. And I think the series and the team knew they had to make way for him and someone had to be the one to, to step aside. I think we had quite a nice harmonious uh, level of drivers there and, 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 and I was part of that in, in the car number eight crew. Um, I, and I think just basically I was the one that was most accommodating to, to so it wasn't rock, wasn't rock, paper, scissors at Cologne, was it? Or a bit no, of armour? No. <laughs> I think it could have ended in more than just rock, paper and scissors. I mean, it started that way. It would have been throwing um, rocks look, and was, scissors, would it? I was, I was, like I say, I was already, I was always almost there in my mind that right. I was 38 years old by that point and I was seeing the end of my three-year deal at the end of uh, 2019 to walk away anyway. Um, I wasn't quite enjoying it as much as, as I once did. And um, so when that all happened, it, can't, it was almost like, it was almost like the perfect timing, the perfect scenario. I was on this long-term contract and I just basically slotted in back into a test development role. And, and I was also looking selfishly at other avenues within uh, TMG and Toyota at the time as well. I was quite interested in road car development and um, I knew they did a lot of that. So I, I asked if I could be involved um, with the project they had at that time as well on the go. They had the, uh, obviously, the, the code names of the GRX, you know, the, the hypercar yeah. that, they're, that they're still in developing. Um, so I was involved with that on the simulator. And then the, um, it was the Yaris as well, the, the, the GR Yaris. Um, so I got to try that in, as a prototype around the Nordschleife, which was really cool. And 
I'd never done anything like that before in my career. So I could apply all those skill sets that you have as a driver and a test development driver mm. from my days in Formula One to then turn my attentions to a road car and what you'd want from a car, you know, on a racetrack, but a high performance road car. And it was really fascinating work. But yes, in terms of the racing, I wasn't actually, and I think this is when I knew that that I was getting closer to retirement stage because I wasn't actually that disappointed with the, with the uh, decision, um, truth be told. So um, no, it it wasn't like, God, if I was in my, mid 20s and that yeah. happened i would have been mortified yeah but yeah. i was more than ready to to kind of take it on the chin and, and move on so let's look forward um cracking career and you've given us plenty of entertainment and you've you've been the absolute gentleman all the way uh, down the times that you've been involved in sports car racing with us and we've come and stuck a microphone under you know sometimes at the most inopportune moment so first of all thank you for that and congratulations on a great career um if i was to say to you now is there anything that you haven't done that you would like to do? Nordschleife, you mentioned you did some GT racing, Bathurst 12 hours. Is there something out there that you still sort of go, mm, I would, I could be tempted back if? No, definitely not. Really? No, I'm doing it full, full McNish style. Really? Just, uh, I, I, I like the way I, I did it. I like, you know, still being at the top of my game in terms of lap times in uh, Bahrain. Um, you know, top the times of the fastest uh, double stint in LMP2 and then could just walk off into the sunset knowing that, yeah, that I... Mic drop. Still got the best out of myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to slip. That's the thing I really didn't want to do. Because I'm, I'm so hard on myself, I didn't want to slowly slip away and hang in on to each cliff edge I dropped off of on the way down. Yeah. I, I just wanted to stop when I knew I was able to mix it with the best of them out there and deliver brilliant lap times and give good feedback, you know, well-respected. And I just, I, I just, that's what I wanted. I just wanted to stop while I was still good enough. Um, I know, I'm, you know, maybe it wasn't at the exact level I was when I won the championship back in 2014, but still good enough. And it's just, yeah, I, I'm not tempted to come back and, uh, and, and race anything professionally, but maybe in time, yeah, there'll be, you know, maybe, I don't know, it could be anything, go kart race or whatever. I, I, yeah, just. Uh, back in the Formula Ford, mate. Look, look at all the people that went back to Formula, Formula Ford for the 50th <laughs> anniversary. Even Hughes, he was at Warren Hughes, was out there. Roberto Moreno was out there. Um, I, I, could yeah, say- I mean, never say never, but I, I wanted, I, yeah, I'd prefer to do it the Alan McNish way, if I'm, if I'm honest, yeah. You, at least you're still the I right, at least you're still the size, right size and weight to be able to go back and do that with some people who have gone back and done it patently and not, <laughs> not, not been. Um, let's talk about your broadcasting career to finish with. I, I would believe, of course I would, because of, of, of my background that you did it the right way. You went and, and worked for the BBC on Five Live with David Croft, funny enough, who you've ended up working with again uh, on, on Sky Sports. You clearly enjoyed that. I thought, you know, the radio stuff was great. I think what you do now with analysis, particularly on the TV, is mega. You're working as part of a team, of course. You, you do enjoy that and you'll keep doing that so, so long as you keep being asked yeah yeah definitely i mean look i i love the sport i haven't fallen out of love with the sport i just i just it's just the competition that's that's the thing that 
I just, like I said, I just find it harder and harder to get that level that I demand for myself out time and time again. And it's wearing, but I love the sport. I wish I was younger again, so I could go and do it all over again. You know, I, I love the sport, but I, I love talking about the sport that I love and yeah. being able to share that with people that have interest in my sport, watching the cars that I know that I've driven uh, it gives me a lot of satisfaction to to try and explain it in the best way possible yeah. I can to try and put those people in the driving seat to try and imagine what it's like because uh, it's not like driving a road car, you know, especially Formula One cars. They're, they're so unique yeah. uh, that even nowadays uh, top flight sports car drivers wouldn't really they feel like they've stepped into a completely alien bit of technology it, you can't really drive them in the way that uh, that you would do anything else it's so bespoke um so just trying to trying to put people into those cars and, and explain the goings on with uh, driver combat and things like that um it i i find it fascinating and uh, i'm i'm glad that you say it's you know it comes across well it does I just try and explain it as if I'm talking to my old man, really, honestly speaking. It's just, which I've always done. He's all, he's, so my dad has always He's the been target the audience. One. That's the person that when you're yeah. told to imagine yeah. somebody listening, you're thinking about your dad sitting, listening or watching at home and, and him asking yeah. you, asking you the question that needs answering. Absolutely. And, Very um, good. You know, he, he's, he's, of course, he's, he's passionate about the sport. Um, he's followed it, followed the, the, the racing since you know the, the Graham Hill and Jim Clark days. So he's he, he he loves it as much as I do, but he's never driven. So um, he's got a lot of a lot of questions still today. And I just imagine when I'm when I'm there on screen talking about it that I'm I'm talking to him, explaining things that I that I in the way that I would explain to him. Um, somebody obviously understands the sport very well, but is never driven. I think one of the other things, Ant, and I hope this can continue, is the one of the advantages that you have had is the experience you've had outside of the Formula One bubble because it can get a bit introspective in the Formula One pit lane. And the fact that you've been out possibly even the week before driving at Le Mans or, or, or whatever, I do think that brings a different dimension and a broader dimension to, to not only your understanding of Formula One but the way that you relate it to people yeah it definitely does you know that not just the sim work i do at mercedes but i found that the racing or at least my experience of driving uh you know real racing cars the way that a real tire behaves on a piece of real tarmac it, it definitely it definitely gives you those ideas and keeps you grounded when you do the sim work and you know all the, the pitfalls that you could maybe fall into uh, if you if you didn't have that experience like I've had of driving things outside different categories and it makes you definitely more of a rounded driver I would say driving different machinery and it was great you know to see Fernando do just that for yeah. example and I really think in those in those heat of the moment moments where you've got to live by your senses I, I, th I think I've read it somewhere as well from him saying, I think it's made him a better driver, even better. Well, um, when you have to react because you've, you, you, in a way, understand the vehicle you're driving at that moment um, in, in a better way from having experience of other vehicles and how they react in different moments. And um, 
when things get tricky in that car that you know so well, you can pull on all those different moments that you've had. Uh, and, and not just in terms of setup of the car, but the way you attack a, a lap as well. So you're going to spend a little bit more time at home um, with Carrie and family. So, you know, that is that going to take a little bit of, of, of reorganisation of your mind, a little bit of a step step change there? And, and what does what your wife Carrie and the family think about having husband and dad home a bit more? Oh, they, they love it. Yeah, um, they, they, they can't wait. I think, I think a lot of people can empathise with this one is when we went through lockdown and we didn't travel quite as much yep. or at all. <laughs> um, and I think it made people reassess their lives in a way. I know it's a bit deep, but I, oh, I, I, think I right. did. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a deep thinking person and um, I, th- I really did start to... It, I know it's a bit weird to say, but I, there were many elements of lockdown I enjoyed. Uh just for the main reason I was at home with my family and, and I realized that, wow, that's, I, I miss out on a, on an awful lot when I'm not there, when I'm traveling so much, uh, with not just with the F1 circus, but WEC as well. And, and, and I, I did want more of that in my life. So, um, that was another huge addition of that thought process. Um, that I think, yeah, like I say, many people I think can, can empathise. Well, I've spoken to a lot of people that have made changes to their yeah. work-life balance, and um, hopefully, hopefully, I can I can achieve that. Um, and I'm sure things will come up. I'm sure, you know, once I have hung the helmet up, that uh, I'll be getting offers of things naturally come along. I've learned that at the age I am now. I've learned that life doesn't really calm down, but I just have to remember that. Uh, when when these opportunities come up to not just sort of jump at every opportunity that that um, may come my way um, because I have to have that in the back of my mind at, at all points. You said something earlier on which will be my final comment to you and I think it's very important. I'm a bit further on in age than you, quite a bit further on and it's really important to do things you enjoy doing and you talked about having fun and doing stuff. Okay, have you got to pay the bills? Of course, we all have. It would be fatuous to say that money doesn't matter because that's why it's called money. But I have a strong suspicion we will see you doing something somewhere with that trademark big Anthony Davison grin on your face. Mm. And thank you for this. Thank you for the entertainment that you've provided us down through the years. And, and keep doing what you're doing, please, in Formula One because it's it's really important, the job that you do to bring the stories the people to life uh, great racing career and uh, look look after yourself best to carry in the family and enjoy whatever comes next the next chapter begins right now thank you very much guys thanks john this program is a radio show limited production tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com